It's good. It's good. Good to be with you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you here this morning, student section in the house. What's up? It's great to have you guys. Um, you know, before we get started, just a couple things. Uh, we have, can you believe that we are on, I don't know, is this month 11 of something changed last year around March or something like that? But just a quick update. We sent some communication a, a week or so ago, but we are uh, getting very close to moving back indoors uh, for our, our uh, Sunday morning gatherings. And when we do that, uh, just a reminder, this is just what oh, we'll be opening a third option. Um, and so we'll have our indoor, we're going to continue to have outdoor option, and then of course we'll continue to have our online option. And uh, what you'll see uh, if you're here in person in over the next week or two is we're making some improvements out here, installing some new screens and audio video stuff to make the outdoor experience uh, as high a quality as we can because we want to make sure that whatever comfort level you have that we want to continue to worship together and, and provide that experience for you. So you'll be seeing that over the next week or two. And then indoors, there's upgraded uh, air circulation, things like that um, take, being installed as we speak. So the nice thing is we're getting close. We're getting close to, uh, to uh, kind of returning indoor. And we've said from the beginning that the church is not about a building, it's not about a location, it's about a people gathering and worshiping, and so we fully believe that all along, And uh, but we are excited to get to the next step of moving back indoors, even though I do believe the church is not about a building, it'll be nice to be in the building every once in a while. Anyone with me on that? So, um, Our youth have been meeting safely for almost nine months now without any issues. We've been gathering as a church, mostly outdoors, um, since last July. And uh, we believe this will be a great next step. So we're, we're getting there. Uh, thank you for continuing to uh, praying, serving, and, and giving to the church to be a part, keep our mission going. And, and so we appreciate all of you. All right, let's get started. Uh, we are, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. If you like to use your life journal to take notes, grab those and take those out. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel? What does it feel for you when everything around you is changing? Are you the, what is that like for you when things are changing? Are you the type of person who kind of embraces that? Or are you someone who, when things are changing, which we've experienced in this last year, what is that like for you? Are you, some of you might be what we call early adopters, and as culture changes and things change, new ideas come, you're the ones that say, let's go for it. I'll be the first to, to whatever that is, to buy the new iPhone or, or whatever that kind of things. But culture changes. But you're easily adapted, or you easily adapt. Or do you find yourself often saying, I just wish things were the way they used to be? Anyone with me? You know, when we first started about 12 months ago with this pandemic, uh, what we heard a lot was like, we just want to return to normal. We just want to get back to normal. And then the new phrase, which I don't like, kind of became nor so predominant, right? We're going to go towards a, a new normal. Yeah, I don't want a new normal. But life is all about getting into new normals. But so how does that feel for you? You know, sometimes when we long for the old days, we kind of think back and, and, and say, when things are changing, is it changing for the better or for the worse? Sometimes we don't know that either. Now, some things we know changes were for the better. When the 70s ended in the 70s clothing, we stopped dressing like that. That was for the better. Are you with me? Yeah. When, the, when 80s haircuts were over, we, that was for the better. Yeah. When... 2020 was over, that was for the better, just everything. So we know that some changes are for the better, but sometimes we don't really know. But, and sometimes we don't even know when was that turning point? When did things change? 
you know, I've, I've shared often that I'm a baseball fan because I'm a true American. And so I love baseball. And because I follow the Lord Jesus, I'm a Red Sox fan. So <laughs> what? I am cheering for a Padres Red Sox World Series. Come on. How great would that be? So as a Red Sox fan, you know, the Red Sox won five World Series in the first 18 years that baseball existed. So they're the best, the most winning franchise. And then after 1918, they kind of went, you know, 86 years without a World Series win. Their whole narrative became, we're the franchise that can't quite win a World Series for 86 years. And then in 2004, they were playing against the Devils team, the New York Yankees, in, um, in the playoffs. <laughs> and the winner of this series, of that series, seven-game series, would go to the World Series. You had to win four games. The Yankees won the first three of those games. Red Sox and Red Sox fans are thinking, here we go again, one more loss, and the same narrative. Yankees win, we don't. They were, Red Sox were losing by one run. They had one out in the ninth inning. If they lose the game, it's over. They're done. But they got a, someone got walked. Kevin Millar walked. And then they put in a pinch runner named Dave Roberts, who now is the manager of the, of the Dodgers, and a former Seacoaster. He used to attend here. Dave Roberts put in as a pinch runner. He steals second base. And then the very next hitter got a base hit up the middle. The Red Sox tied the game. This is all in my notes. I didn't memorize this. In, in the 12th inning, we hit a home run. We, because I'm on their team, we hit a home run, win the game. Red Sox went on to win uh, in 12 innings in game four. They won in 14 innings game five. They or sorry, in game, yeah, four and five, and then they won the next two games, went on to win the World Series in 2004. And just in case you wanted to know, they also won in 2007, 2013, and 2018. Just, just put it in your notes. This is important. <laughs> but the point is this. At that one win in 2004, everything changed for that organization. They went from this organization that went 86 years without a World Series to now in this century, the only century that matters, they've won more World Series than any other team. But everything changed. Now we can look back and say, what was the turning point? Was it the walk? Was it the stolen base? Was it the base hit or the home run? We don't know. But we know that something changed. And today, as we look at this story here in Acts chapter 10, we're finding a turning point in the church where things were changing. The church was wrestling with a changing culture. Internally, things were changing, and externally. And as we've been looking at in this series called Unstoppable, we see the unstoppable nature of the church. No matter what changes came, the opposition from outside, the opposition internally, all of those things, the church kept moving and growing till we experience it here today. But today in Acts chapter 10 was a turning point. And so the question that we're going to wrestle with is, how did they find, what was it for them that they were able to find stability when everything around them was changing? And I believe that that's something for us today. So the question that we're going to address today is, how to find stability in a changing times? Or you could say, what is certainty in a world that's changing when there's so much that's uncertain? So we're going to find a few principles from the story today of how to find stability in changing times. Because would you agree things are changing Everywhere we look, things are changing. The definition of truth is changing. What is acceptable is changing. Who's cool, who's not cool, who's in, who's out. Everything is changing around us. So how do we find stability when the world's like that? So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to go through all of 10 and part of 11. So there's so much that I'm not going to read all of it. We're going to skip around 
and I'll mostly narrate, but let's start off. Starts this and says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian cohort. He's a devout man, one who feared God with all his household. He made many charitable contributions to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in to say to him, Cornelius. So here's where we're at in the story. The story begins, and, and this chapter 10 begins with this Roman who is a soldier who probably was stationed in Jerusalem. So he becomes this worshiper of God. We don't think that he fully converted to Judaism uh, because later on we find out he didn't convert his uh, dietary, uh, the way he ate. He probably didn't experience circumcision, all those things that would be for it to become a true uh, Jewish convert. But he was worshiping their God and he prayed and he was giving generously. And so this is a part of his lifestyle. And he has this vision. He's praying, and he clearly sees in a vision. Now, the vision said this. Cornelius, there's a guy named Peter, one of the apostles, in a couple towns south of here. Send some of your soldiers to him and ask Peter to come to you. That's his vision, the whole vision. Go find a guy named Peter, okay? That's where we're at in the story right now. Now, jump down to verse 9. So Cornelius responded. He sent his soldiers down. And in verse 9, on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city of Joppa, Peter went up to the household housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were making preparations for lunch, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And on it were all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures and birds of the sky. This is kind of a crazy dream, isn't it? Peter goes up to pray. He's hungry. And then he has this, his own vision, and it's this crazy dream. Now, I, I don't know if, you're a dr- if you remember your dreams, but our dreams can be kind of odd sometimes. I'm not going to mention names, but the person I'm married to always shares w- with me, like, these dreams every, you know, when she remembers them in the morning. I'm like, how did you even come up with that story? It's like too many Hallmark shows for you. So anyway, but you get all of these kind of crazy dreams. And so that's what's happening here with Peter. He has this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven. It says the four corners, which typically in Scripture represent the ends of the earth, the four corners of the earth. And on it, there's all these different types of animals. That's all he sees. And then a voice comes to him in verse 13. says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. So apparently these animals were, according to Jewish law, to their dietary laws, there's certain foods that they weren't allowed to eat. For example, a four-footed animal they couldn't eat would be a pig. So on there, perhaps there was, you know, a big old slab of bacon or whatever. It's, but what it was is he saw pigs said, get up and eat. He said, no, I would never do this. I never have broken that law. And again, the voice came to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed no longer call unholy. Verse 16, this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So Peter has the same vision three times. Now, my question when I saw that is, is Peter really that slow again, where God's trying to communicate to him, and he's going, "Uh, I don't get it. Let me give it to you a second time. I don't get it. Let me give it to you a third time. Now, it could be that, uh, because we know Peter has a history. But it also could be that in Scripture, when something is repeated three times, that was their way of knowing this is absolutely true and this is from the Lord. The reason in Scripture we often see holy, holy, holy 
uh, is when we're declaring that God is holy, there's nothing more. This is the ultimate definition repeated three times. So when you have a vision repeated three times, that's like, you know that this is from the Lord. So the first crazy dream is just the tacos. The second one is the salsa. The third time, it's the Lord. Okay, that's, that's how you can kind of track with this. So he has three now, and it's like, this is from the Lord. And the vision is, what I say is clean is clean. No longer make your determination. If I say it's clean, it's clean. And immediately when Peter wakes up, there's a knock on the door. And they say, hey, we've come to find this guy named Peter. We've been sent here. Verse 22, Peter goes down there and says, what have you come for? They say, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous, God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter invited them and gave them lodging, and the next day they headed out. So here's the interesting thing. Peter has... Cornelius has his vision, Peter's having a vision, and immediately he wakes up and he sees, wait a minute, here's some Romans who've come to me. So he welcomes them in. This is the first point that I have when we're talking about finding stability and changing times. Simply this, the first thing is this, keep seeking, keep seeking the Lord. Notice that both Cornelius and Peter didn't know that changes were coming. But everything was radically about, about to radically change in their lives. They didn't know that was coming, but God was already preparing them. Notice that God orchestrated dual visions, one for Cornelius, one for Peter. And, bec- and it happened while they were seeking God, while they were continuing to enhance their relationship with, with God, that they were seeking him, and the Lord was preparing their hearts for a change that was coming. See, we're in a world where a lot of things are changing, and they're always there's, uh, change is the one constant, right? But a lot of things feel like they're rapidly changing right now. And the temptation is just to say, God, I just don't get it. I don't understand. I'm frustrated. I have doubts. I'm skeptical. Are you even there? And you just think like, just forget it. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. But here we're seeing that as we continue to seek the Lord, you meet him and he'll meet us in ways that sometimes we weren't expecting. I believe he's preparing us for changes that are coming in our lives. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 through 9, I have it on the screen for you, says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, we don't always understand what God is up to. But he says, keep seeking me. Seek him while he can be found. I would encourage us. Let's, I challenge you. Start off each day with a prayer that simply says, Holy Spirit, guide me today. Help me be aware of the world that... I'm living in. Help me be aware of the people that you place in my life and prepare me for what I'm about to face. Simple prayer like that. God, we want to keep seeking you while you can be found. And as the world's changing around us, the one thing to find stability, one thing is keep seeking the Lord. He's unchanging. Let's find our stability in the unchanging nature of God. So Peter was doing that. Cornelius was doing that. So now back to the text. This is what's happening with Peter. He now goes with the men. They're heading back up to Caesarea. And here, here they are now in verse 27. Peter gets to his house. There's a big gathering of people waiting for him. And Peter sa- it says this, as 
Peter talked with him. He entered and found many people assembled, and he said to them, You yourselves know that it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit a foreigner. Yet God has shown me that I'm not to call any person unholy or unclean. That is why I came, even without raising any question or objection when I was sent for. So now I ask, why did you send for me? So Peter's like, I have no idea why I came, but God told me nothing's unholy or unclean, so I came. And he said, you know I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to associate with you. Which, side note, is not entirely true. It's not entirely true that uh, Peter, as a Jewish person, wasn't allowed to associate or to visit them as a foreigner. Certainly, as he walked with Jesus, he saw a different example. In fact, in their own law, says that if uh, you have come upon a uh, foreigner or a stranger or someone who needs lodging, you welcome them in, you provide hospitality. Peter understood that part, but he was struggling with the other part. I believe that this just represents Peter is trying to figure out what does this really mean? How do I live out my faith? I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but God just gave me this dream, this vision that said don't call anything unclean. So here I really believe what we're seeing is Peter's struggling with this, saying I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but God just gave me this vision that I should, so here I am. Now why am I here? And then Cornelius gives him a recap and says here's the vision I had. In verse 33, after Cornelius, Cornelius said, I sent people to you immediately. You've been kind enough to come to me. Now then, we are all here before God to hear everything that you have been commanded by the Lord. And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. So we see that Peter's actually going through a transformation in this story. He's experiencing a turning point. Everything is about to change. It gets me to the second point. How do we find stability in changing times? The second thing is this. Keep growing. First one's keep seeking. Second one's keep growing. Don't ever think you know everything there is to know about God and his ways. Because let me just give you some truth right now. You ready for it? You don't. Okay? If as soon as you say, I know everything there is to know about God, you just shrunk him down into the size of your brain. Which, at Seacoast, a lot of you, that's pretty big. Some of you, uh, your, your intellect just blows me away. But it's still not big enough to contain God. And so, keep growing. Never think you have it all figured out. Students, know that you will have teachers, you will have professors that will give you, they'll say, we can't explain God, we can't rationally figure him out, so therefore he doesn't exist. Know that if we think that we're talking about an infinite supernatural God, it's actually good news that we can't figure him all the way out. But you're going to be told that. We're all being told that. To me, it's just always evidence of like, oh, no, that's cool that you can't figure him out. That means my God's pretty big and supernatural and above anything we can come up with. But we want to keep growing. Now, notice in this sense, Peter was not just growing in his knowledge of God. He's growing in his understanding of how this played out. Now he's saying, wait a minute, all those stories of you interacting with those who we thought were unclean or unwelcome, all those people that Jesus was with, maybe this is part of a bigger story, and he's learning on the spot. Now, a side note for those of you who like to dig deeper, in Mark chapter 7, there's almost a parallel experience where Jesus starts off 
And Jesus is with his disciples, and the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and saying, why are you not following our rules of cleanliness? You're not properly washing your hands. You're supposed to wash your hands while singing happy birthday and then squirt some hand sanitizer on. Don't you? Come on, Jesus. Don't you get it? And he was questioning him and telling him and his disciples, like, you, why are you not following these laws of cleanliness? And Jesus said, what makes you clean essentially is what's on the inside, not what you do on the outside. It's not your laws that are making you clean. It's the heart of God. And right after that in Mark 7, there's a story where Jesus interacts with a Gentile woman. Right after that. And actually has this interaction where he's like, are we supposed to be here talking to her now? Um, should I be healing her now? It's very similar to where Peter is wrestling with this. Wait a minute. What do you mean, God, by what is clean and unclean? Who's accepted? Who's not accepted? So it's a very similar story. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, it says this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. What I believe this means is when he's saying it's the glory of God, God's glory is all that makes him who he is. It's all of his attributes. So it's the glory of God to hide some things, to be a little mysterious. It, it actually shows that how vast and big our God is, how unsearchable his ways. So it's to his glory that we, we don't, that he conceals some of who he is. But it is the glory of kings or the glory of people to seek out. It's actually an act of worship to keep growing and seeking and trying to understand our God more and more. So let's keep growing. Look what Paul says in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. I have it on the screen for you. It says this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and untraceable his ways. In other words, our God is so vast, we could never quite figure him out. So keep growing. Keep seeking. I want you to think of in your own life. What are some things in your own journey of faith that maybe you used to, you were sure were right, but have changed over the years? Maybe it's something that you thought, well, the Christians can't do this. I know when I first became a Christian, I was in a youth group, and uh, I went to this youth group, and everyone in that youth group said, Ryan, you know, you're a Christian now. You can't listen to secular music. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know that some music can receive the Lord and some can't. But apparently some Christian, some music had become Christian. But I know what it means. They meant music made by Christians about God. Okay. They said, that's all you can listen to now. And I liked music, and I had a lot of music. And I remember I was like, okay, that's cool. I can get rid of all my music. So I took all my tapes you know, tapes. Yeah, tapes are awesome. They never scratch. Come on. I'll tell you guys what they are later. Anyway, so I took all my tapes, and I went to a store that, like, you could sell your used music to. They used to have those. And that was my way of, like, oh, I don't really want to get rid of it, but I can get some money for it. And they didn't buy them all. I don't know why. It was awesome music. And then, um, so then I decided we were going to make a video, and I was going to smash all of them, like, with a big hammer. And it's like, let's do it. And then, I mean, I took out some good, I, I left the Motley Crue and Poison. I'm like, I'm not ready to smash that. But all the other ones, were able to break those. But I remember that time in my life, I thought, okay, I can, I, I'll do that. But as time grow, went on, I realized, you know what, that's not really a real rule. And some music is certainly not helpful to listen to, for sure. But for me, that was important in my faith at that time. But really, as I grew, I started realizing God's vastness and his grace and mercy is so much bigger than that. That there wasn't this rule that was going to save me because of the music I listened to. Now, that's a small example, right? 
But the more we seek the Lord, we grow. We keep understanding. I look at the history of Christianity. In the history of Christianity, there's been a change over time of the same question. Who's accepted? Who's not? Who's in and who's out? Who's God's mercy available to? And some of the history of Christianity is not good. There's times in our history when it was because of a certain group, if you were maybe a certain race or you're part of the Muslim nations or whatever, we could not offer you the grace of Jesus. You couldn't be saved. And in time, people, as they kept seeking the Lord, they're growing in their knowledge and understanding and saying, wow, we've been wrong. And so never get to the point where you think you've got it. Let's keep growing. You with me on that? Let's keep growing. Look at the person next to you and say, keep growing. Come on, let them know. Keep growing. We want to keep growing in our knowledge of who God is. Okay, back to the text. Now, so Peter's there. He says, okay, I guess God now is saying that something is changing. So I'm, I'm getting a bigger understanding of who you are. And so now he starts, he gives them the message. He goes, I guess what I got to tell you about is Jesus. So he gives them the whole message of who Jesus is. And check this out. We're going to skip all the way down. In uh, verse 44 of chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message, and all the Jewish believers who who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, and they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. And Peter responded and said, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Can we? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and, and they asked him to stay with them a few days. So here's the story. While he's preaching, all of a sudden you could see in their lives they were given, they were coming to faith. They were believing in who this Jesus was, and now the Holy Spirit was empowering them. They started speaking in another language. We've seen that a few times in Acts, and every time in Acts, it was intentional to confirm that what was happening was legit. And so this was happening, and Peter's looking at this like, wait a minute. Hold on. Non-Jews can receive the Holy Spirit? Non-Jews can be followers of Jesus? Wait, what? They got to be baptized. Let's baptize them. And that was their, their outward sign of what God just did. So they baptized them. This is amazing. So Peter takes that news, chapter 11. I'm skipping all through all of it. He goes in chapter 11 back to Jerusalem. He tells the apostles, you won't believe this. Gentiles now are becoming Christians. They're following Jesus. And you know what? They, the disciples, the superheroes of the faith, they have flannel graph characters made of them. These Bible characters, you know what they said? No, we don't believe it. Are you kidding me? We can't let them be. Are you sure? Are you sure that those people can be part of us? Are you sure? Peter gave the whole story. The people who were with Peter gave the whole story. They told them, this is what we've seen. This is what we experienced. Verse 18 of chapter 11. Told you we're skipping through a lot. When the apostles heard this, they quieted down, which I love that. They were worked up. Have you ever been around Christians who get worked up? No, I haven't either. Never. (laughs) Especially this last year. Okay, so verse 18. They quieted down and they glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Another word for that is to salvation. They said, wow, this means that this message we have is for everyone. If you are here today 
maybe you have felt at times in your life that the message wasn't for you. Maybe you have a family member or a friend who you know they're thinking, that message isn't for me because of where I was born, how I was raised, lifestyle choices I've made, things I'm addicted to. This message can't be for me. This message can't be for me. I have too many doubts about God. This message has, can't be for me. I struggle with my own identity. This message can't be for me. Maybe you've heard the church tell you from times, not the church as a whole, you felt like I'm part of those people. But I want to tell you today that what God is saying is, no, if you are those people, we are all those people, and the message of Jesus Christ is for you and for me. And what we see in the story is the grace of God reaches beyond every single barrier that we create. He says, those aren't mine. Receive me. Experience my forgiveness. And let me transform your life. The message is for you. Peter, as he shared this, the Gentiles were changing. As he shared this with the other apostles, their worldview was changing. And notice, God doesn't change, by the way. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But our understanding of him does as we grow. He never changed his heart for the lost. Never changed his heart for the broken and the hurting. That has always existed from the very beginning. So the third point here, the first one was keep seeking the Lord in changing times. Keep growing. The last one is this, keep sharing or keep giving of yourself. It's so tempting to say, everything's changing. I don't know what's right and wrong anymore. If I say the wrong thing one day on Instagram, I'm going to be hated by half the people. I, wh wh how do you keep up? It's tough. And so the temptation is, let's just circle together on Sunday mornings with our Christian friends, and let's just kind of take a breath and say, the world's too chaotic. Let's just stay here. There's that temptation. And sometimes I got to admit, that sounds good. Yes, I have thought of buying a 10-acre plot of land somewhere back east, you know, Rancho Santa Fe or something like that. <laughs> you still got to get to the beach close enough. It can't be too far away. <laughs> Just to live on my own. Yes, that's back east. Come on. <laughs> it's so tempting. But I believe God has placed us here to keep giving ourselves away. What the world we needs right now is not for us to retreat, but for us to serve, to love, to give. That's what the changing world needs. Because I believe what will happen is what we see in this story. Is people are seeking hope. They're seeking peace. They're seeking truth. Even ones who say there is no truth, that's what they're seeking. And when they find it in the love between you and me that we have for one another and we have for our world, they start to find that there's a God who's been pursuing them all along. So let's keep seeking. Let's keep growing. And let's keep sharing, giving ourselves away. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we end. And as we end, I... I want to share a prayer. This isn't a book I have. It, it's it's a, a book of liturgies. It's it's a, a, a book of prayers. And I've never really read in a book of prayers. This one's kind of amazing. Someone from Seacoast gave it to me this year. And it even has like the prayer for when you're changing a diaper, which I have not needed. 
and I hope I don't for quite a while. I asked Sarah, like, hey, would you ever want to go back to that? Sarah, no. Okay, this is the prayer for those flooded by too much information. <laughs> Anyone feel that? I, w- I changed it as I read it. To me, this is a prayer for those living in a world where everything is changing quickly. So here's what I want to do. We're going to sing one last song, but I want to just close my time with this prayer. So would you stand with me as we pray this prayer? And then we're going to respond to God with a song. It says this. This is our prayer. When the cacophony of universal distress unsettles us, Lord, remind us that we are small and finite creatures. We're never designed to carry the vast abstractions of great burdens, for our arms are too short and our strength is too small. Justice and mercy, healing and redemption are your great labors, O Lord. And yes, it is your good pleasure to accomplish such works through your people, but you've never asked any one of us to undertake more than your grace will enable us to fulfill. Guard us then, Lord, from shutting down our empathy or walling off our hearts because of the glut of unactionable misery that floods our awareness. You have many children in many places around this globe. Move move each one of our hearts to compassionately respond to those needs that intersect our actual lives. That in all places, your body might be actively addressing the pain and the brokenness of this world. Each of us liberated and empowered by the Spirit to fulfill the small part of your redemptive work as a sign to us. Lord, give us discernment in the face of troubling news reports. Give us discernment to know when to pray, when to speak out, when to act, and when to simply shut off our screens and our devices and to sit quietly in your presence, casting the burdens of this world upon the strong shoulders of the one who alone is able to bear them up. Amen.